Good morning. Good to be with you. We are in Psalm 46 today. Uh, one of my favorites uh, has a, a verse in it that's, that's pretty well known. Maybe you'll recognize it. Um, Psalm 46 is one of the places I will often go to when I give counsel to people. And like, I don't know if I'm particularly good at counseling. Um, I, I haven't been trained in it. And so like, I don't pretend to be a, a professional about it. And um, just like counseling as a, as a friend or just general counseling as a pastor, just, we even have a policy at the church that, uh, that the most we'll provide is like two biblical counseling sessions for someone where we just say, you know, well, here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what God's word says about this, this thing that you're, you're bringing up and working through. But if your issue like runs deeper than that and you need more help than we can provide, we just recommend that you see someone who's been professionally trained, who like has the tools that can help you work through those things. So like I'm not, I don't think, like a, a great counselor, but when I do, I find Psalm 46 to be really helpful uh, for other people because I've found it to be really helpful for myself. Uh, Psalm 46 is all about how you can have peace in the midst of like tumultuous events in your life where just things are turned upside down and it feels like your, your world and your life are just falling apart. That's Psalm 46. If you want to have peace and, and calm the anxieties in your heart, no matter how big the, the things are in your life that you're dealing with, Psalm 46 gives you uh, two things you must know and two things you must do, and you can have peace. And not like peace that fixes you, like you're never gonna have any anxieties ever again or, or, or something like that, um, but, but when you experience anxiety and worry, uh, knowing these two things and taking these two actions, that's gonna help you to be more grounded, uh, to be more resilient, you're gonna have more hope, and you're gonna have more peace. And that's, that's what we get in Psalm 46. And so um, the way I'd like to talk about it is not in the order that the psalm comes in. So I'm going to read the whole thing first, and then we'll kind of go through the parts as we move through these, these four things. So Psalm 46, verse 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All right, beautiful psalm. Uh, really great psalm to come back to again and again to spend a lot of time here, but, but let's start bringing out these different pieces uh, that enable us to find, find peace in God. Two things you must know, two things you must do. First, first thing you must know is that the world, uh, the, the truth about this world, that, uh, and, and the truth about life, that this world and your life, you're going to experience 
trouble and trials and suffering because the world is broken. That's the reality of the way that the world is. And there's, there's different kinds of trouble you can experience and that, that maybe you will. And the psalm kind of takes us through some of those where, you know, first talks about things like natural disasters, like the earth gives way, there's, there's an earthquake, the mountain is thrown into the sea, right? Or, or some kind of fierce storm that just sweeps everything away. Um, I think you could put things into this category like COVID. Like that was kind of a disaster that, that really shook things up for a while. Um, and it's weird because basically every day you can hear about things that are happening somewhere on earth that are, are catastrophes. Uh, I think two weeks ago I saw a video of this river that was flooding in, in Alaska somewhere and these houses were like falling into the river and being swept away. And then the more recent one is the fires in Maui, right? Every day you can hear about some kind of catastrophe, um, but it feels like there's, there's distance, you know? Like we're, we're not directly experiencing it or seeing it with our eyes. And so until you experience it for yourself and, and you, you're the one, you're the one in the video, you're the one who they're talking about in the news, the latest thing where, you know, your plans for the future were just ripped apart, rip, ripped away from you. Like your home was ripped away from you. Uh, everything that you had or everything that you were hoping, everything you were planning for, and there's, there's nothing you can do about it, right? Uh, there's nothing that you could have done about it, really. It's totally outside of your control. It's just happening to you. Or like for us, may, maybe one of the bigger ones that happened in, in this area was, was Sandy. And some of you had that experience to you, and maybe a tree fell on your house. Everyone lost power. Could only buy gas on certain days. Like, like that was something that no one could stop the storm, right? No one could prevent the thing from happening. And then you see in verse 6, other kinds of trouble, other kinds of things that might just bring total disruption into your life, uh, kind of national unrest and political trouble. The, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Later in verse 9, talking about wars, fights among nations that can just sweep you away. And like you and me, we're not really at the level that we get any say in war, Right? Like, unless you're here in secret and you're much more important politically than I think you are, um, like, we don't really get to, to say anything in that. And, like, yeah, I know, we can vote, and you can try and vote for the person that you think isn't going to put us in a bunch of wars, but everyone lies when they're getting elected anyways, and so you don't really know. Like, I don't think we have much choice in these things. Um, anyways, the, these high-level decisions that are just going to be made and are being made, like, across the globe, and it just, like, totally sweeps away people in, in different areas of the world, and it could bring just, like, catastrophic changes to the economy. It could bring catastrophic changes to, like, bombs could be dropped. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and in Psalm 46, in the context that the psalm is being written, and David being a pretty experienced person in warfare, you know, warfare for them was, like, the, the enemy comes and you all retreat into the city and they, they sort of surround it or like sometimes your, your armies would meet in the open place, but uh, you could just be like a regular, normal person going about your life. You didn't do anything to offend Babylon. Like you didn't do it. You didn't, uh, you know, pick a fight with them and yet they show up and now you need to retreat in the city and you need to try and, you know, just hold out hope that the walls are going to stand strong and your whole life is thrown into, into turmoil. 
and that's not to mention like the the kinds of um, the human wickedness that you can experience personally in your life, just from the people that you know, that you could be um, you could experience betrayal or or cruelty from people that are your friends, sadly from from people who are your family. Uh, you could even experience things like violence, and people do. Some of you have experienced being the victim of violence. The world is full of darkness and injustice and suffering. It's the way that the world is. It's not the way that your life is all the time, but it's always the way the world is. It's always happening somewhere. And it's important to know that and to get acceptance about that because if, if you kind of, if you ignore it or if you try to put it out of mind and keep it far from you, when you experience it for yourself, you're not prepared at all to deal with it. It's great to talk about things like how uh, some of the big problems in the world that, you know, we should do things that solve these problems or prevent these problems from happening um, but we still have to be prepared to deal with the problems when they do happen. It's like the thing people say, where like, so I have two daughters. One of them's right there, little, little baby girl. Um, but I have, uh, I have two girls, and part of being a dad of girls is, is in just thinking about the world and the way that it is and the way I want to raise them, is I want them to have, uh, I want them to be smart and be cautious in certain situations so that, you know, they don't become the victim of violence or, or terrible things that happen to them. And when you say that, sometimes what you hear people say is, uh, you know, well, why don't we teach boys not to assault girls instead of teaching girls not to be assaulted? And it's like, yeah, that's a great plan, um, but I can't teach every boy that exists. I can teach the two girls that I have and, and honestly, like, if all you do, if your plan to equip girls for the world is to teach them, you know, no one can touch you without your permission. It's true, but it's not helpful when you meet someone who doesn't care about your permission. We have to deal with the world the way that it actually is and not the way that we wish it would be. Does that make sense? Because otherwise, it's just... It's foolishness. You're living in a fantasy. Human wickedness exists. There's wickedness in human hearts, and people can be terrible to one another regardless of what you're taught, even if you do everything right. The psalm is talking about these, these things, the, uh, the kind of trouble that happens to you, and you don't really have power over whether it happens to you or not accepting that that's the way the world is is not an easy thing because honestly that makes life a little bit scary just to know that sometimes there's nothing you can do and it's going to be bad and it feels overwhelming I, I, I think that's the feeling that Psalm 46 is trying to help us understand in the, in the words that it uses and the examples it moves what it's like to be overwhelmed like you just can't do anything about this. You don't have any power. You don't have any control. And some of you here today, especially if you're visiting and if you're, if you're new to faith or you're exploring faith and if that's you really glad that you're exploring, this might sound a little odd to you because you're like, well, <laughs> like, isn't this a church? <laughs> like, don't you believe in God? 
And like, and this is a big thing. There's a big obstacle where people are like, it's like, you believe in a God who's so good and so powerful. He can do anything that he wants and he's good. But you're also saying that this is the way the world is and you could just experience some awful things. And so like, how do you square that together? Like, how does that make sense? It's a totally fair question. It's a big thing that people need to work through as they, they, they try and figure out their, their faith and their relationship with God. And the way that I like to answer that is um, in the beginning, when God created everything, he created it very good. We see that in Genesis. He creates everything. He says it's very good. And when God creates everything, there's, there's no evil, there's no suffering, there's no darkness at all. Um, he is the one who has the, the purpose and the intent and everything he creates, and he arranges it with the purpose he made it for. It, it's kind of like God is building a, a stained glass window. Like all these different pieces that he, this is the way this should be, this should go here, this is how this should look, this is how this should be. And when it's all put together, it's this beautiful picture, full of light. When human sin enters the world, and what human sin is, it's saying, God, I don't agree with you, with the things that you've maybe used ignoring his, his purpose and his intention behind it, and it's because we've done that to the world and to our lives that there is this, this brokenness. And I'm like, totally fair, you go, I understand that in human relationships and how people can be terrible to each other because we're not treating each other the way that people should be treated, but like, come on, earthquakes? Um, but yeah, even, even earthquakes, because this is how the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 8. He says, uh, for, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The way Paul talks about the world is because our sin that entered the world, it's put, placed this curse of corruption where now, yeah, the world is going to fall apart. It's going to break apart. And it's not like you can just say like every disaster that happens like, ah, oh, because they sinned in that city. That's why. Like, I don't think you can pinpoint it like that, but you can say because of human sin, the world's not the way that it should be. And that's the world that we have to live in and, and learn to live in and deal with. That's the first thing that we have to know. The truth about the way the world is that we can expect uh, trouble and trials and suffering. So we can be prepared to, to experience them. Second thing we have to know is that God is our refuge. God is your refuge, your place of safety, your fortress that can shield you from the worst of the trouble that you might experience in life. And that's verse one of Psalm 46. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. In the context of Psalm 46, the, the image for refuge that it's going for is probably for Jerusalem itself. Because it talks about in verse 4, the, the holy city um, placed with these high walls and it has a history of warfare and being surrounded and, and the city is a place that can withstand uh, warfare. For, for a modern context of like what is a refuge, what's a safe place for you, um, I think maybe for lots of people it's like your house could be your refuge. Or if your house is like kind of chaotic, like your room in the house, like away from the rest of the craziness and things that might be happening. Um, but like in your life, you might go to work and, and work is not a refuge for you. 
you, you kind of feel on guard. You, you don't feel totally safe. You kind of feel like you need to uh, protect yourself a little bit. Or if you go to school, you got to protect and guard yourself there. Um, maybe just even being in public places, if you have social anxiety or whatever, you, you're, you feel like you're a little bit on guard. But, but when you get to your house or your room or whatever your place is, that's the place that your guard can be lowered. That's the place that you feel safe. Um, honestly, when I was thinking about you know, refuge this week and like what, what's a good example? The thing that came to mind for me is doomsday preppers. I don't know if you guys know about doomsday preppers. If you don't, you should look up some stuff online. It's pretty wild, but let me tell you about them. Uh, doomsday preppers, not only are these people like fully prepared for nuclear holocaust and like zombie apocalypse and like whatever other life-ending thing might happen, they kind of want those things to happen because it's going to justify all the work that they did, which I get it. Like, they put so much work into it, and you know there's people in their lives. They've got a cousin, they've got a mom or someone who's like, you're wasting all your time, you're wasting all your money, and you know more than anything, they just want to be able to say, I told you so. But they won't be able to because if they're right, then the zombies got their cousin. So um, these people, like, they have fortresses. They have bomb shelters. They have food for 10 years. Like, that's a... That's a, ref that's a safe place from the end that is probably not coming, but maybe it is. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Um, anyways, that, that's God being the, the refuge, the, the place of protection, the, the fortress, right? Um, and I love the choice of words in Psalm 46. It's not just that God is a refuge and he's a fortress and a place like this. He's, he's our refuge and our strength. Like you have access. You have permission, you have an invitation to make God your fortress, to find safety in him. And he's close to you. He's near to you, right? A very present help in trouble. I love this because, like, if you're looking for God, and you know this, if you were looking for God at one point, and, and you, you, you now have a rela relationship with him, but if you're like looking for God, you don't have to go on this like journey where you overcome all these obstacles and you learn all these lessons along the way and you put in all this effort and all this work and then the end result of all your effort and all this work and all this journey is you're rewarded with you get to be close to God. That's not how a relationship with God works because he's near, because he came near to us. He came near to you. All you have to do is turn and he's there. Building on the image of, of God being uh, a, a city of refuge for us and a fortress and just knowing the way that, that warfare was fought um, and Jerusalem itself being the city that he has in mind where he says that there is a, a, a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Um, cities that had a river, like Jerusalem, if they were besieged by an enemy, if they were surrounded, if that enemy couldn't break the gate or couldn't breach the wall, their strategy was, we're not going to let them out, and, and we're going to starve them out. Uh, that's, that's the way we're going to win this war, and who can wait out the longest? Cities that had a river running through them were at a huge advantage, because they had all the water that they need as a source of life for them. 
They'd have all the water they need to be able to grow some of their, their food inside. It was, it was a way uh, that they'd be provided for in, in the midst of this danger to their existence. And that's what God is to us. He's the source of life for us. For us, the, the city, the place where he dwells, and he doesn't only uh, you know, protect us, he provides for us. I think this is the part we really need to grasp, or that most people need to grasp in order to get this sense of uh, personal safety and protection from God. Um, because it's easy to get to a place where if you believe that God exists and you believe that he, is, he created the universe by the word of his power, you believe that he's sovereign, he's king, like there's nothing that he can't do, he's all powerful. It's easy to get to a place where you believe all those things. Um, what's harder is, well, I know he can, but how do I know he will? Like, I know he could protect me, but how do I know that's what he wants to do? How do I know I'm included in that? That's the thing that, that is a bigger hang-up for people. And maybe what you do is you start thinking about all the reasons you think he shouldn't. And you start going over all your, your mistakes and your failures and your sins and your regrets and your guilt. And you build a list and you go, why? Why would God do this for me? Like, I haven't been faithful to God. I haven't honored God. Why, why would he be faithful to me? Why would he take care of me? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus is primarily uh, Gentile Christians, uh, Gentile as opposed to Jewish. And so prior to the time of Jesus, the way that you'd be identified with the people of God who have this special relationship with God as you belong to the Jewish people. You're a descendant of Abraham. And the, you know, there were ways to be grafted into that family and become the people of God, but the doors were not wide open. Uh, Jesus opens the doors wide open, and, and these Gentile people are now able to be brought near. But this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says this about Jesus. And Jesus, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, is that he came and preached peace to you. Whether you were far off or near, no matter how far you think you are from God, no matter how far you think you've put yourself from him in your rebellion and you're running away, Jesus comes near to you and he preaches peace to you. He welcomes you back, and he doesn't welcome you back as like, hey, you're a guest, you're allowed to be here, it's okay. But he makes you a member of the household of God. He makes you a citizen of the, of the kingdom of God. When you're the citizen of some place, your citizenship grants you certain rights and protections right? So, United States, citizen of the United States, you get certain things. You get to vote. Woo. Uh, you, get, you get to pay taxes. It's fun. 
I mean, the real rights and privileges we get come from the Bill of Rights. Like, that's where you, you see the freedoms that you have, the protections that you have that are put in place because you're a citizen of the United States. As a citizen of heaven, you get certain rights and privileges and protections and freedoms. One of the rights that you have is the special closeness with God where he dwells with you. The Spirit is building you into a dwelling place for God. He's, he's with you, he's for you, and you are his. That's one of the things I, uh, I try to, uh, I'm trying to build into my, my daughters, and mainly the older one, because the little one doesn't know anything yet. But uh, I tell her, like, I, I love you so much. You know why I love you? I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're my daughter. You're mine. You know that? You're mine. I love you. I don't want her to, um, I don't want her to start thinking that, like, I need to be a good listener for, for dad to love me. I need to be good at this. I need to be good at that. I need to do this. I need to do that. And if I don't do those things, maybe he's not going to love me as much. Um, no, no. I, I want her to know it comes from the relationship. Like, the, the love comes from the relationship we have. You're mine. You're my daughter. That's why I love you. We're always going to have that relationship. And so you're not going to lose it. That's what God's love for you is like in Jesus. You're his. And it doesn't depend on how good you are, how mature you are, how many good things you've been doing, if you've been messing up lately. He loves you because you're his, because of the relationship that you have that you've been given in Jesus. That's why you know that it's secure. You become his through what Jesus has done for you. When Jesus goes to the cross, he takes your place, he pays the debt for your sin so that you could be forgiven, you could be set free. But I understand if, if someone has a question here, if like maybe you're a little bit of, uh, of a cynic in some of your thoughts, and I know because I'm the same way, and, and I might be listening to the things that I'm saying if I'm you, and going like, I get it. I get that that sounds nice. I get that God can do all these things. I, I get that, you know, I, I can, he can be my refuge, but like, but, but how does that work? Like the words sound nice, but what does that mean for you if like, like you're a Christian and your house gets swept away in a flood? or, you know, uh, you lose your job, or you get cancer, or you lose someone close to you. What does it mean God is your refuge? What difference does that make? Does it mean that God's going to rescue you out of that, and he's going to change things, and he's going to make everything okay? It does mean that God is going to rescue you from, from evil and suffering in your life, but maybe not in the way that you picture. Uh, Romans 8, verse 28, listen to what Paul says. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you're someone who's made your decision to put your faith in Jesus, to trust what he did on the cross for you, that what he did is enough. You don't have to add to it. You don't need anything else. All you need is Jesus. And you, you hand over everything to him. You're a follower of Jesus. If that's you, all, and it's because we got to that place in our faith 
that, that we were able to uh, find the people we were going to get married. It's my older brother. I got married first. Then he got married. It's not a race. But I was first. Um, we both have kids now. He has two and I have two. Mine was born first. It's not a race. I don't care. I just think it's important that you know. Um, we have these families now. God's put me on this path to put me here where I am, here in this church. And every, every week I get to preach the good news of Jesus and the hope that's found in Jesus. And I get to see how that, that changes people's lives, how it brings life to people. It sets people free. Stories of transformation that are just amazing. But if you, if you ask me, if you go, you know, Ryan, just kind of knowing everything that you know now, uh, 2004, what happened? Your dad, the cancer, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I can tell you honestly, it was bad. It was so bad. But I can also tell you, God works all things for good for those who love him. Even the bad things. The best picture of that is, is Jesus himself. Was the cross a good thing or a bad thing? Just looking at the cross, just looking at what happened on the cross, an innocent man unjustly put to death, the righteous son of God suffering for sin he never committed. It's a bad thing. But through that cross, he made many righteous. He brought many to life. And three days later, Jesus is resurrected from, from the grave. Like, death didn't get the final say. Jesus got the final say. God works all things for good. Some of the good you get to see now. Thank God for that. Some of it you, you won't fully get to understand and comprehend until you get to eternity and you see the new picture that he's making, the new good that he's making, that, that beautiful stained glass picture, putting everything together just the right way. We can trust God. Within the shelter of this promise and this knowledge that all things work together for good, within the shelter of that and the knowledge that he loves you, he's with you, he's for you, there's an eternity he's preparing for you. Within the shelter of that, you have refuge from anything that you experience here on this earth. You have this shelter and you have this truth that, that grounds you, makes you stronger, makes you resilient, gives you hope, gives you peace. And I don't want to leave anyone with the wrong impression. Like, God does answer prayer. He does. Uh, sometimes there's a purpose for why he lets the bad thing happen, and, and it has to work itself out because it's part of that plan. You know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh he talks about. We don't know what it was. We know he didn't like it. He, he prayed to God three times to remove it, and God answered and said, I'm not going to remove it. My power is made perfect in weakness. You're going to have more power, more strength, and more effectiveness in your ministry with this thorn in your flesh so you depend on me more, and that's why I'm going to leave it. Sometimes God has a purpose for, for letting the bad thing happen 
But sometimes we pray and God goes, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to answer this the way that you hope that I would. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring rescue. I'm going to bring miraculous provision. Like, I'm going to do these things because he does love us. He does care about us. He does answer prayer. Anyways, those two truths you need to know. The, the world is full of, of trouble and suffering because it's so broken, but God is your refuge. Now, the two actions that you need to take, and, and these are a little bit quicker, but first one in verse eight says this, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Come and behold the works of the Lord. See the things that God has done. David talks about how he's seen, you know, God make wars cease on the earth and the desolations he's able to bring, that, that he's able to do these things just because he wants to. What you think about matters and what you fill your head with matters. It makes a difference. Um, if, if you turn God into an afterthought in your daily life, if he's not at the forefront of uh, the way that you live your life every single day and how you interact with people and the decisions you make and just how you deal with your life, if he's sort of an afterthought, you kind of move through your day and get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, I should pray before I eat this, or oh, I haven't read the Bible in a while. If, if he's just kind of a, a forgotten afterthought that you sometimes come back to, and then you have Sundays, um, you're not going to turn to God to be your refuge all the times that you should. I mean, if it gets really bad, you will, but what you're gonna end up doing is you're gonna try and do everything on your own most of the time. You're gonna try and solve everything on your own, fix it on your own, change things on your own, rely on yourself, and do the best that you can do, and sometimes, yeah, you can make it work. You can kind of mag MacGyver it around, and, and somehow it, it, it works out, but you're still going to be confronted eventually with the truth that there are some things you can't change, some things that are just so far beyond you. It's the way that the world is. Sometimes trouble happens to you that you have no power control over. Come behold the works of the Lord. You know what you see when you see the work, when you see what he's done? You see there's nothing he can't do. And you see how willing he is to do it for his people, for the people that he loves. Whatever's overwhelming for you, it's not overwhelming for God. I, I love um, where God talks about the, uh, the nations are like dust on his scales. And so the way the marketplace worked uh, was, you know, the merchants would have their set of scales and they'd use it to make sure that it was a, a fair exchange. And what you want in a scale is it's going to balance. Uh, but they'd get dirty, they'd have dust on their scales, but it wasn't a problem because the dust isn't heavy enough to move it up or down one way or another. They just have no significance at all in the thing that's being weighed. God says, I have a set of scales, and the nations are like dust on the scales. They don't, they don't move it one way or another. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the United States, Russia, China, no power on earth is so great that God has to be careful with it. God's got to be careful because he doesn't know if he does this, you know, 
what's Russia going to do then? What's China going to do there? Like, he doesn't have to be careful. He's God. He's sovereign. He's the king of the universe. He parted the Red Sea. He crumbled the walls of Jericho. He used David, little shepherd David, to kill Goliath, giant war machine of a man. He used Jesus. He used the death of Jesus, the humiliating death of Jesus to disarm and defeat Satan, sin, and death forever. Look, come behold the works of the Lord. See what he's done. See what he's capable of. The first action you have to take, take time where you come and you see and you behold what he's done. The second one is this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that he's God. We're not good at being still. Uh, I mean, especially as New Jersey people living in 2023. If you ask anyone, like any random New Jersey person, how they're doing, there's an 87% chance that in their answer, they're going to use the word busy. You know, like, I'm good, been keeping busy. It's been so busy lately. Life's busy. Like, we always use it, and it's true. We have, you know, overloaded schedules, tons of things to do, and, and people to see, and places to go, all of that. But even when there aren't that many things to do, it still feels like there's this busyness in our lives. I think part of that comes from the way that uh, technology has affected us, because, you know, we carry these powerful computers in our pockets and so you're basically available to anyone who wants to call you or text you or email you or you know some other app with a push notification like they can get a hold of you they can get your attention basically 24 7 like maybe you snooze those things or you know that's fine do not disturb that's a good thing to do um, but there's like this built-in expectation in life that I can, I can get a hold of you, I can get your attention. Um, I remember a glorious time when you couldn't use the internet and your home phone at the same time. Uh, you know, you're still pretty available, but it wasn't like this, this everyday 24-7 thing. It's like you might have to wait to hear back from someone. And like even more the further back you go. You know, David, just write a letter to someone. Like, they might die before you get it back. Like, you, there, there was a lot more stillness, a lot more space, a lot more time. And that's just people, people trying to get your attention. It's not even talking about the devices themselves, how, like, everything you have with a screen is trying to get your attention as much as possible, and they're pumping research and money into making that happen because the more your screen gets your attention, the more money someone can make. Like, whatever the screen is, phone, tablet, computer, TV. Uh, unless you're pretty intentional about it, you're not going to have much stillness and much quiet in your life. Just sitting being quiet, thinking, not distracted, not interrupted. We're surrounded by noise. We're bombarded with things that are clamoring for our attention. You have to be intentional about it. You have to make the decision to say, I want a time of stillness. I want a time of quiet. It's important. 
to slow down and stop sometimes. Just be still and be with God. For me, one of the times that I get to do this is, um, and, and some of my best prayer, my best meditation is when I'm driving because uh, what I've done, I just don't listen to music when I drive. And I know some of you think that makes me a psychopath, but I kind of like just sitting in the quiet because it allows me to, to focus better on God. That's one of the times for me that, that I get to be still. In the, in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's an event, the transfiguration, where Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he's, he's transfigured in front of uh, just three of his disciples. They see him become glorious. And, uh, and, and Moses descends on the mountain, and Elijah, and uh, Peter, one of the three disciples, he, like, he doesn't know what's happening, but he knows he likes it. It's like, this is really cool, this is really good. And he just starts going in go mode. He just wants to move, he wants to do something, he wants to, to you know, he doesn't want to let the moment go. And so he's like, uh, Jesus, it's good for you to be here. It's good for, the, for Moses and Elijah to be here. Um, stay here, I'm going to go get some building materials. I'm going to make three tabernacles for you guys, and, and that's going to be our plan. Let's just, I'm going to get going. Uh, and I love it because God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to move. You don't have to work. You don't have to add to this. Be still. Listen to him. See what he's doing. Whatever you might be going through in your life right now, and maybe it's not now, maybe it's later, maybe it's something. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. If you know to expect trouble and suffering in the world, if you're prepared for that, if you know that God is your refuge, if he's, that he's present, he's close to you, he's your refuge in Jesus, if you come and behold his works, if you know what he's done, you've seen what he's done, you see what he does, and if you slow down and be still, stop trying to fix it yourself, running around yourself, and just look at him, wait for him, trust him. You have so much more peace in the midst of that. You know the hope that you have. Gives you strength, makes you resilient, keeps you grounded. Let me pray for us.